Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Amazing Podcast. I'm Twain Taylor, editor at Amazing, and uh, we hope you'll enjoy this podcast. And if you do, I want to remind you to go and uh, check out all of the other interviews we've done and all of the other articles and uh, job listings that we have listed on amazing.com. That's amazic.com. You'll find a lot of really cool stuff there. And uh, today I have with me uh, someone who's going to talk to us about security and uh, about how these two worlds of security and AI are overlapping today. So that's kind of going to be like the broad topic that we're going to talk about. I have with me Ashley Ward, who is the principal technical evangelist at Orca Security. Uh, Orca uh, has already been featured on the podcast here two times already. And uh, we had previously Andrew Bartlem, and we had Keith Mokris, uh, colleagues of of uh, Ashley, who uh, were on the show here. And uh, they, they spoke to us about shift left security uh, and how security is also shifting left uh, in, in the development pipeline. And uh, interestingly, they also spoke to us about this new concept called site scanning. Uh, which Keith Mokris explained very well. Uh, and uh, this uh, conversation is going to be picking up from those threads and covering even more ground uh, in uh, the world of security. And uh, since we last spoke, a lot has happened in this space, uh, particularly uh, the, there's uh, the rise of chat GPT uh, since this past year. And so we want to definitely touch on some of those topics in this conversation. Uh, so with that uh, kind of a long intro, I want to welcome Ashley to the show. Thank you for joining us, Ashley. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Uh, Ashley, if we can uh, introduce yourself a bit. Tell us about uh, you know your journey so far up to Orca, uh, your background, and what you do at Orca. We'd love to hear that as we get started. Sure. Well, uh, so I'm... Uh... Gosh, where to begin with that one? I, I guess I started out my career as a as a Unix administrator, um, in the, when, when, in the days of the big Solaris systems and and big AIX machines, and I and I got to say no to everyone, which was which was great fun. I was <laughs> I had root access. I told everyone no, and uh, so we're going back a little while there. Um, I was a Unix admin. I then went to a, a media company where I um, did various different different things. I was an infrastructure architect. I was there when we first brought in uh, what we termed lightweight services, what you might call now uh, microservices architecture. So decomposing our, our monolithic application into these uh, these smaller units. And that's where I kind of was at the, the, the when DevOps was just was just kind of gaining some traction. I was involved in that and suddenly could see how what previously was a back office function that I did nobody's interested in speaking to the guy who's a Unix admin who has root. He doesn't know anything about the service, far less the business. But it, suddenly I was at front and foremost. I could, I could see how I could help our developers deliver real business value, actually something that impacted um, our, our direct customers, which was really exciting for me. It changed how I was looking at IT and, and what I was doing. Um, I then went to a financial services organization. I took them into public cloud and, and heavily into uh, containers and, and further into, into microservices. 
Um, and then I discovered that the people in security, they could say no an awful lot more than even I could as a Unix admin. So I'd found my new calling. I needed to be the where I could say no to everyone. Um, I, I'm joking, of course, but I realized how important security was. And there was this gap between what the business wanted to achieve, what we were doing that was very cool in the DevOps world and working in agile methodologies. And security tended to be a bit of an afterthought. So I got heavily involved in, in container security, and that led me into Palo Alto Networks, uh, where I was a cloud CTO for a while, and uh, um, I had a, another even even longer title. But I, I basically covered EMEA for for uh, cloud security, uh, and then before becoming a, a CTO in, in my own right, I was the group CTO for a distributor, a four point five billion euro uh, public distributor. I was in charge of all of the IT um, across the globe, uh, and all of the all of the teams and staff in in IT there. Um, delivering operations. And so looking at how we could secure all of our infrastructure, our cloud infrastructure, our, our on-premises infrastructure, um, how we could still deliver the business benefits. And then uh, I still transitioned into, into Orca. I found that the, the technology, we, were, we keep repeating the same things from a technology point of view and making the same mistakes. And I realized that Orca security kind of had that in the bag, so to speak, the, the, and, and you've touched on side scanning, but it was revolutionary. And so that really made it for me to be, I want to now fix the the, the processes and, and help the people. Those are the two next big parts. And, and I think Orca has the platform to enable that and our you know, innovative use of, of AI and things like this talks to that, but I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it later. So that's kind of been my, my career path to, to where I am now. Really cool, really cool. Wow, uh, sounds like you've been around the block and done quite uh, a few things. I'm an old man now, so yeah. <laughs> so, so what's your role at Orca? Who do you work with on a day-to-day -day basis? What problems do you solve? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I get joke that I get paid by the number of letters in my job title. So principal technical evangelist, I've got to try and get as many in there. Um, I, I do a lot of talking. Um, mm -hmm. I do a lot of talking and I engage with the, our product teams, I engage with our marketing department. I talk with our, our sales team. But the, by being separate from the, the sales cycle, the bit that I get the most joy from is, is speaking. Well, I speak at events and conferences, but it's speaking to customers, potential customers, and, and just people in the community. I, I get a, a, a lot of information from that because I've, I've done a lot of walking the walk. And so it's not just me trying to talk the talk. It's also learning how other people are, are solving those problems and going, yeah, okay, I, I can see how, you know, again, coming back to that thing that, that drives me, which is we, we always as technologists try and look at a technical solution for things. And often it's like, well, there's, you know, there's, there's a myriad of different ways of solving that. What is the problem? How do we identify that? How do we look at what those processes are and the people? And then the technology backs it up. So um, I, you know, I say to everyone, I, I talk a lot. I, I do an awful lot of, I suppose it would be research in the market to then drive how our product develops and also how we how we engage with potential customers, existing customers, and, and really just make sure that what we know is a great product actually is a fit for, for people out there. <laughs> really interesting. And I'm curious to know, as a follow-up to that, uh, with you know you having so much uh, time, you know, on the, speaking to people on the front lines or actually implementing stuff. Curious to know what uh, is it that you actually see and hear around you as you speak, and what are some of the challenges that you uh, see? Because you know we're talking about security, of course, uh, but if you can crystallize it and sort of 
bring it down within security? Uh, what are some of the key challenges that you see organizations facing? So there's a, there's there's a few things. I think the people recognize that there's um, the the wider market as a whole that people still are getting budget squeezed. There's still um, there's still issues around the skills gap now. Whether that's and I know that there's there's a lot of changes in the marketplace from from a from a people point of view, but there's still this this issue of think about all the different myriad of technology that's out there and that we've been using for the past you know. 10, 15, 20 years, there's a whole vast range that's active now. There's a whole vast range that organizations still have and are still using, whether people want to call that legacy or whether that's the industrialized crown jewels that they're using that makes money, there's still a huge amount of stuff. So whenever I speak to CISOs and people in the security arena, it's impossible for them to be across all of the different technologies that are out there. It's impossible for anybody to be. It's it's very difficult to have staff coming in there's kind of people talk sometimes about these rock stars coming in who are uh you know multilingual when it comes to technology and can very quickly adapt and change and, and whilst there are possibly people out there i think in reality there's too much if we rely on people like that we we, we well one we're not fair to other people but two we're forever waiting for this hopefully golden child to appear that that will solve our problems so there, there's a, still this issue of our staff, we want to enable our teams. It's very difficult to send someone away for training on every technology, have them be experts, and budgets are constrained. The business wants to move faster. Risks are growing. So these are the types of conflicts that we see, or I see, and competing requirements that are there. Have they always been there? Possibly. I suspect what I'm hearing from people, not suspect, what I'm hearing from people is that the pace seems to be an awful lot higher. So there, there is a lot more change and there's a lot more expectation of change. And we still have those same constraints of we've got our existing teams, we've got the new technologies that are coming on. We need to have the policies and procedures to, to match up with that, to manage that risk. So it's some of the same stuff, but a, a much faster pace, I think. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. So, you know, so those are the challenges. I'd like to ask about some of the anti-patterns that you see, the negative uh not so helpful things that people try to fix these issues. You know, you spoke about different problems, talking about uh, the people problem, that's the skills. You spoke about the technologies, how many of them that are there. Uh, You spoke about the budget constraints. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, just I I guess the sheer volume of data and things that need to be analyzed. So, you know, with all of these challenges, what are some of the anti-patterns that you see organizations implementing that you know doesn't really fix but maybe even makes it worse yeah i, I mean there, there are a few i'm trying to uh, the, the i mean the first one and, and possibly the easiest one for me to off the top of my head it has got to be that uh, sometimes as because security teams feel that they are they need to be across everything then they get themselves overwhelmed with with information they're coming through so they start saying, well, we, we need to have visibility into all of the different things. Well, that then means that suddenly they have visibility of all these different things and there are always going to be new issues that arise, whether it's vulnerabilities, misconfigurations, whatever is going to come through. And if you don't have the process to be able to route those to the right place, then then, then they're overwhelmed. Um, and, I, and I think that on top of that, people then start going, okay, well, I can solve these individual problems with individual tools, 
so if I if I look at this and go, that is good enough security, I'll just put that in there. Typically what happens is that then they're pushing that problem again back onto the people. And if you've already got a security team that's that's you know overwhelmed by alerts that are coming through, then then it's they're going to miss the important stuff because they don't have the context that comes from all of that information coming into a central source or even being processed in a central way and then sent to the appropriate appropriate teams or the appropriate people who are going to do the fixing. So I think um, people think that in order to secure things, they need to have greater visibility, which is true to an extent, uh, but you need to be able to support that greater visibility to send the things to the right eyes, get the information to the right people who are going to fix it. So it's I suppose that the people think the first part, they do the first part and they don't see it all the way through and then they're they're overwhelmed and all of a sudden it's the, that their the fault lies with, well, the alert was generated, but no one did anything or no one could do anything. It wasn't actionable, you know? <laughs> really interesting. I was wondering if you could share an example or two to kind of describe uh, this problem, you know, in a day-to-day scenario that an organization would typically face where they've got all of this data coming in and, you know, um, and they, they're not able to, uh, one, let's say when they have the visibility and they see a lot of this, uh, these security alerts coming in, uh, but then tell us about how the routing challenges, you know, how do they play out on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So I like to think of it as if we go back to the uh, ye bad old days when I started my, my career, in uh, things were a little bit slower moving. In order to get a server or get a database up and running, you had to, you know, fully scope it, get the server order, get it racked and cabled, and go through all the approvals for that. Then you would have someone from the, the Unix team who would be the administrator of it. You would then have an Oracle DBA who would then come along, or you know, other database providers were available. But back in ye old days, we've got this relational database. We've got somebody coming in and installing that and and managing the database. Then you might have people within that database. So you would then have maybe schema owners who would come along and be in charge of that. But you've got these layers, right? So you've got the application and how it's interacting with the database. You've got the DBA who's managing the database as a whole. You've then got a Unix admin who's looking after the server or the cluster. And and, and even then you would probably have storage uh, people who are assigning the storage to the server. They looked after the storage piece. Uh, you would have networking engineers who would make sure that it was all networked. And, and so you had these layers. Now, that took a lot of time, a lot of effort. And honestly, thank goodness those days are gone. It took so long. Well, they're not completely gone, of course. But, you know, when we want to spin up a dev server, that was a world of hurt. So if we fast forward to, to cloud computing, it's wonderful. And genuinely, I'm a, a huge fan of, of the public cloud service providers. Orca Security are a big partner with all of the cloud service providers. We we love we love the cloud, right? We we can move it a lot faster. But then we do have that, and I'm sure all your listeners set fed up of hearing of the shared responsibility model. You can find it. I won't go through all the details <laughs> of it. But depending on the service you're running in that cloud service provider, you take on a greater or smaller amount of responsibility for it. So going back to that database point of view, if I'm a security team and I set up, tell me all the alerts about the databases that are running, that's great. Now I'm getting alerts about that uh, database that's sitting on a virtual machine in AWS. I'm getting alerts on the RDS database that's sitting there, that's there. I've got alerts from an insert different database 
technology of choice that, that you've got there. But they might all go to different teams. They might all go to different places, those alerts. So whereas before you would just fire that over to the DBA team or you would fire that over to the operations Unix team to, to find out, it doesn't work like that now because we, we're deploying things, whether it's infrastructure as code, even if it's manually next, 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 it's still different teams that have responsibility and are, are managing those different database types. So if you're a security team and you say, I want to have all the visibility, which is super, and you don't do that routing, then you're going to have, right, where this, what's this one for then? And I, I've just mentioned AWS. I mean, we could be talking about uh, GCP. We could be talking about Alibaba. How do I know this alert on this database, who, who, who should look at this, who should fix it? And that's the bit that people need to need to be across when they're, when they just think, I'll just have all these, all these alerts come in. If you don't have the context and the, the, the right process involved in sending that to the right place, it's just not going to get fixed. Mm -hmm. All right. So I think we've described the challenges fairly well and really crystallized it. And I'd like to segue now to talking about kind of the solution. And uh, even with the solution, before we get to more specific suggestions, uh, as an introduction, uh, what role does AI play in all of this? How is AI relevant to these challenges, particularly when it comes to security? So where where I see AI and where you know Orca Security is really seen huge, huge use. You know, we uh, we initially released some of our AI features. I wouldn't say almost as a, well, there's some hype, let's release something. We, our, our research team had seen that this could be useful. And you know, we work in a very agile way. We 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 come up with features and ideas and we launch them if they're safe and we see what the uptake is, and then and then we move on from there. And if if something's um, you know, sounds really good and we launch and it's not seen as beneficial from our customers, then we don't invest in, the, in that any further. We, you know, we, we can move around all the place. And, and our AI integration, our initial one was, was almost like that. It was like, well, this is, seems like a good idea. Let's try it. And, and we saw a huge uptake from our, our customers and sustained as well. So when we release a new feature, you would expect, you see usage go up and then it, it drops off. If there's, you know, depending on how people feel, it was stayed up and sustained. And we've seen that throughout all the different things we do with AI. Now, where where what I there's a there's a couple of things on, on where it can be really useful. One, we've always had what we call our unified data model. So AI is only as good as the data that it's that it's got to be trained on and the data that it's got to use. We were in a really fortunate position that from day one we've had this unified data model, and that means that all of the different sources of information about public cloud, we've been ingesting and storing in a standardized way. So when we wanted to try things out, we had the model already there for AI to then to then you know uh, uh, to take in and, and to learn from. So there's one that I think everybody is shouting about, which is we can use AI to to try and look for patterns and and look for things where we can we can improve stuff. The bit that I get excited about is we can actually use AI to elevate our people. So if we're thinking about the the people. You know, if, if you want to get somebody who's uh, AWS uh, security specialist, right? They, then that, that's a that's a um, high worth uh, individual. It's it's someone who's done a lot of training. If you take that person and say, right, now I need you to look at Azure because we've just acquired this company over here. They're going to be good and they're going to know stuff. They might not know the exact bit of what that means in Azure just because they've not they've not used it a lot. Well, AI can be that translation piece. 
Or a better example that I like to use is if we have someone in a security team who's senior in security, been using on-premises security for a while, we're now putting them into the cloud. They, they still know all the concepts, but perhaps not the right terminology that we would use in the cloud. So AI can actually elevate that person to be able to operate at that higher level while they get up to speed, while they get any training or anything like this. It can enable people. And, and that's the bit that's that's really exciting for me. Now, there's there's other stuff there we can, uh, which, I mean, I can show you a little bit later, but, they, they, you know, you can use AI to kind of, did you mean almost, you know, and, and not the, not Clippy appearing and saying, are you trying to write a letter? But, you know, mm -hmm. did did you mean this? And, and trying to expand out to those areas where you've, you've asked this one question, but you might have meant you want more over here. And that's the power that I see for, for AI coming in. Certainly that's some of the, the sort of the three areas um, that we're doing at the moment around around that. There's a, there's a lot more that we're, we're pushing into as well, but uh, those would be the three. Really interesting perspective because, you know, you hear a lot about AI improving uh, data and quality or getting more out of the data you have, but I think the first time hearing it put in this way, which is AI actually improving how your people uh, do psychops, and that's really cool. Um, I'd like to... Sorry, yeah. Twain. It's just it, it is the bit that gets me that gets me excited about it. And then there's a couple other bits that do as well that are so the AI and, and doing stuff with data and, and doing that analysis and coming up with stuff, that's very cool. Uh, and, and it will continue to grow. You just need to go around any of the conferences and, and every vendor will have AI and, and doing that with, with data. For me, it's about how does that solve problems just now? So Great, you've you've used AI to to tell me that I've got another fifteen thousand things wrong with my estate. What, isn't that great? I didn't have enough to do in my day job. But actually, where where we're looking at it and going, okay, well, here's how we can use AI to help your people start fixing stuff or identify what's important and needs fixed. And then, sure, you know, we, we I'm sure we'll find another fifteen thousand things for you. But for now, let's let's solve that with people or or the process. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the last mile problem, kind of closing the loop. And I think that's quite practical and quite necessary. Uh, so, you know, it'd be great for us to dive into a bit of this, uh, but to get us started, if you could show us visually uh, what you're actually talking about and how this works uh, with Orca's product itself. Um, how is AI being leveraged by Orca to solve some of these challenges we spoke about and even uh, the role of AI, as you said, in improving the way people manage security. If you can show that to us in a walkthrough, that would be really cool. Sure. Let me uh, let me share my screen out. Hopefully, that is coming All through. Right. Yeah. So there's there 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 are a few different bits, and and some people like to dive into others. I'll do it based on um, kind of the release cycle that we went through with it, and then you know you can you can stop me, and we we can go into different areas. So we've we've got the main Orca dashboard. There are there are you know the, one of the areas we'll come across is is searching across different assets. But in the in the way that we release them, then um, really our first our first foray into it was was in IAM. Um, so with with IAM, it's there there are a lot of different policies. Um, it's typically something that uh, we got a lot of feedback from people and some of the, our research pod were able to to find. People struggled with IAM policies uh, to to make sure that they were they were secure. And and listen, I I've been as bad as any, especially in the beginning from my first foray into public cloud. And you go, what policy does does do I need? Well, 
first of all, I was probably creating a user instead of creating roles. But, you know, people make mistakes as, as they're learning and they're trying to do things. People are also sometimes not sure what they're going to need. And so they, they, they over-provision. Now, my demo environment is, you know, is particularly bad. We've got lots of, lots of policies, lots of things here. But our first foray in was actually in this IEM policy optimizer. And this is where we looked and said, okay, well, what we can point AI at here is to just keep analyzing those policies, look at what people are actually using, and then generate what the, what the policy should be and what the remediation plan should look like. And, and I mean, it seem, seems like something that's very simple. It's something that's that's um, we've seen has been really quite difficult for organizations to do. It involves investing some time and having a human look through stuff and go, has this person used this these permissions? Has this uh, is this appropriate? What the permissions are? And actually, that's a great thing for AI to be pointed at. So when I'd mentioned before, you know, we we kind of thought this would be good. We put it together, put it in place, and we saw a huge a huge pickup in usage where people were like, "Oh, that is very cool. We do have a lot of um, policies that we're not using. In this case, we've got a, um, identities that we could get rid of that are unused." We've got unused permissions across these ones here, and that was that was the, the initial first um, foray into it. And then, you know, we we do it at different stages to try and let you do a, a phased approach. But each time we used AI to go right, what would be phase one that would get rid of the most bang for your buck, and then what's phase two and phase three. So that was the that was the first time that, that we we put things in. So that was in our in our IAM, and then the next time would probably be around our alerts. Now, I'll jump in here. As you can see, I've got 34,000 alerts sitting in my, my demo environment. That should probably clear up. But the, the, this comes back to that. You can be overwhelmed with, with information. You can then also be overwhelmed with information and what the fix is for that information. So you end up saying, okay, well, I've, uh, I know that I need to patch something. I know what, what I'll get this team to patch it. And then they go, well, you know, how do I patch it? You know, well, that's not that's not my job. That's your job. But it changes when you've got that. Um, the, the DevOps team are, are doing it. You no longer got the Unix team that do patching, and and so it can get a little bit confusing as to where people go. So looking at some of these alerts, I've got malware. Malware's I'm happy to go into it, but it's not that exciting because it's and malware is what it is. It's obviously a horrible thing. It's exciting what we can do with it, but from an operations point of view, let's look at a vulnerability. So I've got a, a, a lovely little vulnerability here. I can see that I've got two machines that are impacted for it. One's in, in Google, one's in, in AWS. I'll just click on this one here. So I've got a, an alert. I've got this one here that's for uh, GCP. Uh, and I've got details about it. So the, one of the things we did was we used AI to look at all the data in uh, that we know about this asset to be able to build out this um, live information about it. So we can say that this is running. If it stopped running, we'd know that it had stopped running and could say. So lots of information. But the bit I like is this oh, is uh, this part here. Now, we're using, in this case here, we're using Azure's uh, OpenAI. This could happily be, you know, we always operate in whatever the cloud provider is that, that, the, uh, that our customers use. So if, if somebody's using AWS, then this will be Bedrock. In this case, I'm using uh, Azure. And what this is, is, okay, I've got this problem. I want to tell my security team, or, or sorry, my operations team to fix this, or my DevOps team to fix this. Well, what we can do here is we take the information about what the problem is. 
we put it through a few layers of privacy and security checks to, to strip out any customer information, fire it over, in this case, to, to OpenAI, and say, okay, tell me how I would fix this using Terraform. Now, what excites me the most about this is that if I'm an operations person and I'm using a security tool and I want to know how to fix this in Terraform, then I expect the security tool to have worked out how to do that in Terraform. And so if Terraform has a new update, then I've got to have my security vendor update their instructions to then send me, and it, and it becomes a bit disjointed. I love this because this is Orca Security saying, take out the privacy part, all the private information, ask OpenAI how to do this. It comes back and says, here's how to do this. And so now I can actually have something useful to send to my to my operations team or to my, my DevOps team. And, you know, coming, uh, if I jump back uh, for a minute and just look at the, the uh, oh, I've got close, I can do it here. Um, the coming back and looking at this and saying, okay, well, what if I do this for a Linux server? What if I want to ask some additional questions? Then I can come along, in fact, I, this is, there we go. I can come here and I can say, let me see this for a Unix server in AWS and then my, uh, I'm able to go to my AI and say, okay, great, we'll do that in uh, CLI this time, I think. So we're, what we're doing here is, again, we've got a new request that's going. We're stripping out all the private information. We're firing that over. It's coming back, and it knows now because we've told it, how do you fix this on an AWS VM running Ubuntu 22.04? Okay, great. Well, um, um, will I need a reboot? I don't know. Hopefully that returns something we'll soon see. But again, what we're doing is we're 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 stripping that information. We're saying, and, and you know, in fact, I can read this and it tells me I don't need a reboot. But oh, there we go. And in fact, it's even coming back and saying I don't need a reboot. But this means that instead of uh, an, an operations person or security person who maybe uh, doesn't know how to do this themselves, they can use this to get the right answers in a safe way rather than just opening up chat GPT and you know, firing it in there with IP addresses or other information. So, so that's wow. uh, the, the second piece that we came out and, and this has been really exciting. Lots of people are using this and you know, some of our SEs have got some really elaborate demos that they'll do here where they'll be like, generate me an email for my users and it will come back with the email. But the, this is what talks to kind of elevating people for me and, and, and giving that, that power. The, oh, the really final cool. one, and, uh, and then I'll stop talking. It's not actually the final one. It's kind of the final one, but the searching I want asset. To actually ask, could I ask a follow-up? Yeah. I mean, could I ask a question related to of this? Though, about just, I mean, how you found, I mean, like, how's the quality of these? Because this seems to be, it's really important, right? Because it's related to the security of the app. And so the suggestions, the quality of the suggestions is really the, the thing that really matters here. Uh, so how you found the quality or... Uh, you know, are there any precautionary measures or that you should be careful of, you know, any wrong so, recommendations that you could get, anything on those lines? You're absolutely right. And it, still, I mean, we still do call out that these are experimental. And as with anything, you should be getting, you know, you should be checking any instructions, even if they're coming from a third party that says you should do X, Y, and Z, you, you need to have someone be able to look over them and, and you know, sanity check them anyway. We do put a huge amount of effort into how we, you know, and, that, and that's why I mentioned it so many times is because, and it is really important, right? It's about getting 
all of the detail and all of that context and contextual information to the uh, AI in a safe way. So, I mean, that being able to go you know, and setting up the prompt, say, I have an Ubuntu 2204 machine, it is, and, and, and all of that detail so that the, the AI is able to give a decent answer. We have found, you know, each time, each iteration, we, we see it improve. Um, we've not had as many issues as you would think, and that's because of the quality of that unified data model that we've got. We're, we're able to provide a lot of information in a safe way that means AI's got a, a much better chance of giving some good instructions. But you are completely correct to call out, regardless of how you get the instructions, you, you definitely want a sanity, sanity check then. Wow, really cool. So um, in, um, behind the scenes, what actually happens when you type a query here, you ask a question or you send your information, uh, where does this go? Is it Does it go to the Oka cloud service or does it go to uh, Azure itself? What, what's happening behind the scenes? So this this goes to, to uh, Orca. Mm -hmm. Orca then, uh, are we using the Orca platform now? The Orca platform itself, we can deploy in a number of different ways. The, the one that I've got here just now, our demo environment, it's uh, fully hosted. So it's it's a uh, platform as a service is how we've got it. So I'm interacting directly with, with Orca, if you like. We do have ways of deploying so that we can ensure that everything stays within a customer's cloud account or, you know, we, we, there, are different, there are different ways of doing that. Essentially, in this instance, I'm communicating directly with Orca. Orca is taking my request um, and, and putting that through our own safety loops to make sure that we're not sharing anything that would be um, that, that would be private. We don't host the private data itself, but things like if there was a, an IP address or um, if somebody in, if somebody typed in here, uh, the, the, this is my password, how should I do this? We're looking for patterns and things like that so that we're not sending them to Azure or to wherever, whatever AI, uh, any information that we, than we have to. We'll send that to, in this case, you're right, it's Microsoft, it's, I think it's up the top, we've called it out, yeah. We're sending this out to Azure's OpenAI. This could be if the customer is only in AWS and wanted to use AWS, this would be fired off to, to Bedrock to say, here's my question, can I get can I get my response from that? So even when the response comes back, we then take that and we can repopulate. So the examples aren't fantastic in this one here, but if we were to use something with, I have a machine named Ashley and I want to know how to how to patch that, it's an Ubuntu, blah, 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 blah. Then when we strip that out, we'll take the host name out of there and that will be sent as with a host name of made up name. It comes back and then we'll resubstitute that back in again. So when you get your answer, you get something that's actually actionable. Ashley, you should do this to, to the server, Ashley. Um, but that's not what got sent to Azure or to Bedrock or to whatever, because we've stripped that out and held that metadata. Does that, I hope that answers the question, Twin, but let me yeah, know if yeah. I'm not. Yeah, no, it does, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a fairly detailed answer. Uh, I was wondering about costs. So uh, for using this OpenAI GPT-4 with Azure, do you, uh, does the customer actually pay Azure uh, for this? Or is this part of the Okka subscription? How does that work? Yeah, so the, 
it depends on the deployment model. As with everything, it's an easy answer for me. It depends. No, usually <laughs> that's just part of what we what we do. If we're, we're a platform as a service, if we're doing that, if we're in one of the deployment models where there's things that are running in the customer's account, then it will be they, they'll get they'll have the charges because it's their account. And um, so okay, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a rubbish answer for you, but it, it depends. Typically, though, that's that's part of what we provide. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, wow, this is really cool. Uh, brings up so many questions, but maybe I'll just pop up one more question about how how do you, is there a way to train this uh, model to better, uh, you know, match your your company's needs, your, your security needs? Uh, let's say there's a response that comes and you see that it can be improved. Is there a way to give it feedback saying, hey, no, I need actually this and then next time someone else asks a similar question, it gives the improved response to that person. Uh, is there a training model or some, something of that sort? There is. You don't have direct access to that. As yeah. you, you, don't, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have direct access to that. That's something that we control. But we are, we're, you know, it, uh, I, I've always, you know, so when I was, when I didn't, when I didn't work for a vendor, uh, I would hear vendors say things like this. And, and you, you know, it, it is what they say, but, I can't convince anybody other than saying it is what we do. Um, We want to know that. We want to know what people are seeing and and actively seek that feedback. I was speaking to our director of customer success um, and, and, you know, that's a key thing that they do as part of their calls is to go, have you you used some of the search functionality? How did you find it? What did you need? And we can retrain and, and do that type of thing at the back. We don't expose what we do there. For, for people to directly influence, but we definitely want to partner with people and, and see this improve. It's it's so it's been so such a big uptake that that yeah, it's something we care about. All right, all right, really cool. Uh yeah, I'll stop the questions about this with that, but it's a really cool uh feature, really interesting to see this use case. Uh but yeah, you had a third thing to show us. I, I did and I, I started typing it there. I, I, this is I, I I get excited, as you can see, I get excited by by some of the silliest and little things. I get excited by this because I can see it actually helping people and, and actually helping. So when I when I when I managed the the um, the, the cloud team um previously in, in, in a previous role, the the trying to get people up to speed on everything was was a challenge. People have got their day jobs, the business is wanting to move stuff. And despite having a, a great team who really wanted to learn and really wanted to do more. They were sometimes stuck a little bit by going, I'm not sure how to do this in this cloud service provider. I'm not sure exactly what it is I'm searching for. So this uh, this is one feature, which is our, our uh, discovery side of things. So this is part the first part of it, which I think highlights it really well. And then we'll dive into the second part. I've just typed Jenkins in my search there. Now, did I mean assets that were called Jenkins? Did I mean alerts that could impact assets for Jenkins or vulnerabilities that impacted assets? Or did I mean actually places where Jenkins was installed as a package? Did I, you know, there's there's a lot of different things I could have meant by that. Um, and, and that gets me really excited because now I'm, as someone coming along and going, well, it's, well, you can imagine it. There's different people with different hats want these different things, but this has made it very easy for that. And what we've done is we've got that unified data model, and we've always had this discovery piece here. Now, our discovery piece, it was a, it's really, the way we've done things with our unified data model is we're able to perform advanced data analytics on that and be able to go, okay, 
Um, and, and this ties in with, I'm sure Keith would have mentioned before in a previous episode, or, or Andrew, about those attack paths and being able to build up uh, that picture of, of you know, all the different risks and bringing them together to make something that you can see is, is actionable. Well, discovery was always about allowing you full access to your data after all. So we allow you full access to look at all those different relationships. But it can be quite difficult, as we've seen. If you just type Jenkins, what do you mean? Well, in this case, I want any compute services... And I want to know if they have an installed package that has a name containing containing this. Quite quite simple, you, you would think at, at the, the on the face of it, but breaking that down across what could be all your different assets is uh, is is really big. So if, if I clear that and and look at my at my AI and and do show me VMs with SSH keys, that seems like something that might be valid. I mean, what what does you know? If we were doing this in a in searching through a database or a config management database, we would need to be going. When I say virtual machine or VMs, even I actually mm -hmm. mean virtual machines. And when I say uh, virtual machines, I mean they could be GCP compute instances, AWS EC2 instances. They could be. I mean, there's we've even got Oracle Cloud in there. You know, they could be all these different things. Now, if I'm searching for stuff then that's I need to build up that discovery and, and know what I'm doing. Whereas I love this. This means that, you know, someone who is, I mean, in this case, someone who only has used virtualization technologies on premises can ask here and get the information across different cloud service providers. So that type of thing for the, the AI discovery really elevates people and makes, uh, makes, uh, you know, but makes people be able to do a lot more. And and this is where um, we've got a load of, of generic ones there, but um, show me serverless, uh, not instances, let's say functions. Functions with uh, an attack path. I'm trying to think. Yeah, let's hit over there. So we're, we're stripping out what the language is. We're using that, that uh, large language model. We're using that natural language and going, right, this person who's asking is asking about serverless functions. That could be any of these types of serverless functions that has an attack path. Okay, well, there's our attack paths. And then I've got, you know, all of that information is, is straight there. So those are the types of things that make it easy to consume all this vast amount of data that we've got. And, and so that's, I keep on talking for ages about it, but that that's probably some of the, the major bits that we've got just now around AI usage. Wow, really cool. Yeah, uh, this is really powerful search. Uh, it can really save a lot of time, uh, especially when you're working with like a, an incident in real time and you need to like uh, pull up data on the spot. You know, I mean, this just is invaluable. Uh, it's amazing. Um, it's it's the people twin honestly it's it's having you know having having been been a being a manager been a, been a senior leader in an organization um I, I, everyone always goes you know people are our most valuable asset and it's sometimes said and it's thrown away i i really think this now means that we've got a, a way of having junior or or in senior security people who are less experienced in certain areas can now immediately be effective and, and can create actionable advice. And so when we talk about we have um that we can't get the people, we can't, it's no, we should be using AI to me as, a, as an assistant. AI should be uh, allowing people to do to do better. It's the human. And coming right back to the really important point you made, you know, even if you're getting information from an AI, you, you still want someone to be able to, to analyze that and check it. 
And I think this really, really helps people do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, any um, any instances come to your mind of how some of your customers use uh, some of these features that you showed us and what difference does it make for them? Any uh, examples or kind of the impact that you can share? The, the, the search has proven to be really, really useful for people and really mm -hmm. useful to the point where um, people just it, it's natural and people think oh yeah that that's that's how it's almost that's how it's always been and and in fact that's you know and that that's this that shows how successful that's been but a big one is people being able to to search here for it's just you know it, just anything and, and across their cloud accounts so we see a number of you know we've got role-based access control and, and we can you know restrict down what, what people see and what they don't and a huge part has been people being able to search for something and finding that in AWS across the different accounts they might have within AWS, but also within GCP and the different accounts. So that search functionality, people are using naturally. So I, um, you maybe you would be the same, but I, I recall moving from a situation where everything had to be bookmarked to all of a sudden, I could just type in to Google or into my address bar and, and I just got to the right information I needed. And that's how people are using are using this part of the product. That it just seems like it's always been there, and and it and it's not. You know, that's how useful it is. Mm -hmm. Wow! <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think uh, technology is shifting so fast, and uh, and it's a good thing that it's becoming seamless. A lot of the things that used to uh, be so clunky with so many steps, like you said, just the bookmark example, it's just becoming seamless now. Uh, that's quite powerful. You know, I want to ask about. Uh, What's it like getting started with this? You know, um, let's say there's a new customer that comes on board, and they've got all of these assets to be, you know, uh, discovered uh, and you know scanned. Uh, how does this work? How long does it take? Uh, what's the typical onboarding process like? So um, I'm I'm sure uh, Keith would have gone through some of this. So for people listening, they should definitely go and check out some of some of those. Uh, previous episodes along with the ones that, that Keith or, or Andrew were on, although then they might watch that and say, well, why have we got this rubbish Scotsman now speaking to us? But hopefully they'll <laughs> still find us some value there. It, the, the, this is the beauty of that side scanning technology, right? So the previously, and, and you know, in, in my role within operations from, from feels like the dawn of time, in order to be able to get any information about systems, you had to roll out an agent. Now, as an operations guy, uh, that causes a number of different problems. Even if the old, you know, oh, it will consume all of my resources thing is solved, th there's still a lot of, um, I as an operating system person who's providing production environments and dev environments, I need to make sure that all the software that's rolled out has been tested and is, is able to be used. So rolling out an agent's a pain. When you're in security and you're then asking someone who really doesn't want to have to do that work because they've got a load of other things to do to roll out agents so that you can get visibility and tell them that there are more issues, that's a really big bit of drudgery. So side scanning is fantastic because you don't do any of that. You don't need to roll out an agent. You don't need to have someone do any work at all other than give you access, and that can be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, read-write access, it can be read-only access to a cloud account, and it could be an organizational one, so you automatically get everything that's there, but having that, and then we ingest everything 
not in line. So we're, we're using the cloud uh, APIs, we're ingesting the different uh, logs that are there, uh, we're integrating you know, with, our, with our partners, those uh, cloud um, service provider partners that we've got. We are, you know, we've been there for uh, Amazon's uh, security lake gets launched. We were there, you know, we, we tie in directly with all these things. And what that means is we can consume all that information, we can scan all of that and provide all of the relevant uh, details without having to wait for someone to deploy an agent or without having to wait for uh, a path to production, we, we can do it straight away. So typically you'll start getting information within minutes of rollout and the rate to rollout Orca is click, click, add account, done. You know, that that is literally how quick that is. And then you get information within minutes. Realistically though, I say 24 hours and then you'll have a good picture. If you're wanting to see things like well, are, are, are my users using these permissions? Then that's going to take a little bit longer for us to learn. But vulnerabilities, asset information, being able to use that search, that's going to be available uh, you know, within minutes, within 24 hours. Really cool. Uh, as we wind down our conversation, it's really, really uh, fascinating to just see how Occur is really integrating AI, generative AI into uh, the product and into uh, this, the security workflow. Really cool stuff. Uh, you know, but looking ahead in the next over the next one to two years, uh, you know, we, we've seen kind of, and I'm sure these are really early days. Even what you showed us, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot more in the pipeline. But where do you see uh, security and AI heading, and what are some of the one or two things that excites you as you think ahead for the next year or so? Well, I think, I think that we're going to see a. Well, I hope, but I think we're going to see an awful lot more of moving away just from let's use AI to analyze data, which is really important still, as I mentioned, it's great. But I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that more of a shift into we've done a lot with the people there in our product, but also more around around the processes, you know, and, and actually can we use AI to look at those? I mean, you you will have done as well as I did in my career at some point. You're doing Six Sigma. You're looking at how you can, um, you know, just-in-time provisioning. You're looking at where things are in a process. And typically, though, people kind of do that, and then it, it kind of stays like that for a bit. And it's only when there's a, you know, someone new comes into role or, or comes along and goes, why are we doing it like this? And then reanalyzing it all. I'm really excited to see that that shift and actually having AI analyzing our the processes that we're doing. And you know, still elevating the people, but looking at those processes and going, you know, that that could be automated, and or or here's how that would be more efficient now, and not because humans can't do it, but just like you know, to be able to do that, the, the search across everything, uh, I would need to train a, a human to be able to go into each of the different cloud service provider consoles, do the search, or use the APIs, just making that easier. So having a look at those uh, processes that we've got or even the procedures, generating procedures out of those processes, and then saying, you know, these, these are all the steps, we could automate them, but otherwise, here's your procedure. Uh, that, I think, will, will be a lot, because that, you know, I, I've, I've been through ISO certification, it's, you know, immensely valuable, but it is just looking at whether you're you're marking off the, the processes, and you're identifying risk, and you're, you know, how you're progressing that. I think it's right for AI to come along and be able to prove it or not prove it or, or, or assist in that. So that's what I, I kind of looking forward to. Wow, really cool. Uh, sounds very exciting. And there's a lot to, uh, you know, just dig into a lot to explore even with Orca, uh, just uh, 
uh, yeah, extension, extending even from all that you said. So thank you so much, Ashley, for just uh, the just the great insights you shared. It was a really fun conversation, and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot from this. I hope so. And, I'm really, again, really pleased to be on, and, and hopefully you'll have me back. Yeah, 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 I would love to uh, in a few months because this is moving so fast. We need to do some updates every now and then. <laughs> Uh, before you go, Ashley, uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions to get to know you a bit more. Uh, so uh, the first question for you is, uh, you're a principal technical evangelist now, and I want to ask about how did you transition to this role? Because it's one of the newer roles within the space. Uh, you know, so yeah, how do you transition from your initial roles to to this? Well, it's, it's, it's I think it's really interesting. I mean, the, the, I suppose what would have been my role in the past, this position might have been a, a developer relations or, or something there. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I like the, I like it, I, I like it being not just specifically on developer relations. I think it's, it's all everyone's relations. You know, I, I'm still a big proponent that, you know, DevOps didn't just mean development and operations. It actually meant development, audit and risk, uh, operations, uh, finance, uh, it was the organization, it was an organizational shift. So the same for me is that, you know, a, a technical evangelist is uh, I'm going to spread the good news about technology, right? I, I look at it as let, don't, don't worry about the technology. We, we can, we can talk about it. We've got loads of people who are enthusiastic about technology. How does technology solve business problems? How does technology, you know, enable people and enable those processes? How does technology do stuff? So, how do you get into being, you know, doing what I do? You could think of it as as uh, developer relations. You should think of it as um, you. You'd obviously need to like to talk a fair amount. I, I would say curiosity is the big is the big thing. If you're if you're consistently curious as to how how things work and how things could be better. And, and you know, having that level of optimism that goes along with it, I think that's that's how how you slip into where I am. Me, me, wow, really interesting. Spreading the good news of the technology is one thing, but then making it real for people is the other part, and that's really that's cool. the, and that's the difficult part, twin. You know, it's, it's all very well me going, yeah, that's what we're doing. You know, here's it's all good, it's all shiny, but it, it's where the rubber meets the road, and and it's it, so that's the bit where it it does get interesting, and that's where okay, you know. Why are you doing something like that? And and if you if you just come from a technology point of view, then sometimes when you go into especially big enterprises and they say, well, we do it this way, you go, well, that's that's crazy. Why would you do it that way? It's so inefficient. That doesn't work. You've got to understand that there's this is that there are reasons why these things have come into play, and you've got to be interested and go, okay, yeah, all right, I can understand why that is. Okay, well, what about if we were to you know and, and problem solve there? So it isn't all easy. But it can be quite exciting, quite optimistic around it. All right, all right. Yeah, that's true. Um, I want to ask a bit about just how you work on a day-to-day basis and your productivity. Do you have any productivity tip that really works for you that you'd like to put out there? Uh, so I I like to whiteboard a lot. Uh, and I like to I like to whiteboard and it almost it's almost like doing a mind map. I, I find that I I like lists, and I, I, you know, I'm quite happily using, you know, getting things done or, or different different productivity ways of, of, of trying to pinpoint. But sometimes I, I find it quite nice to then flip over. I've got a big whiteboard there, and and just getting, you know, and how does that relate to this? 
And so what I would say is from a productivity point of view, getting things out of your head, however you want to get that out of your head and into something that's actionable, that, that's the big thing. And, and don't just feel like because you use technology, it has to be in omnifocus or it has to be in to do, you know, get, don't forget the milk or whatever you want to, you know. Um, it, instead, it could be a drawing because your brain's going to work in different ways and getting that out is, is the important part because it, it will let you then let you prioritize effectively when you see that big picture mm -hmm. yeah yeah neat white boring that's cool um complete the sentence at a party or conference i'm usually the guy who oh probably has a drink in his hand talking to people <laughs> uh, i i um i I, so the, it it tends to I I like uh, I like being conferences. So if you're if you're your your listeners might not know this, but when when you're a vendor and you're at a conference, typically you don't get to go along to all the nice all the nice things that are going on in the conference. You're typically at that booth. Now, what's really exciting about the booth is you get lots of people coming over who are interested, and and honestly, every person standing at the booth is interested in what you've got to say. Whether it's whether you're interested in the technology that that vendor has or not, they want to they want to speak to people. But I really like it where at the reception, people usually have a beer, a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or whatever. And then they can kind of, they go, yeah, but the problem I'm facing is, and, and that's the bit that mm -hmm. I really, really like, right? Because a lot of the time at the booth, people are like, what do you do? What's your product? What's the technology? And it's at the reception part where people go, yeah, well, I'm struggling with this part. So I would be the person with a drink in his hand, talking to people to try and learn what the actual problems are they face. So you're waiting for the after party at a conference. Always the after party. <laughs> you can tell me. I'm at a party. <laughs> All right. Uh, one more complete the sentence for you. Uh, the best part of working or being in the cloud computing space is? Oh, rate of change. Pace of change. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, the, it's exciting. It's, it's really cool. I mean, it, it, was, it was really cool being in IT full stop. Uh, I just love computers. They're just so cool what you could do with them. But it's the it's the it's the rate of change. I mean, it's it's the services. It's it's ridiculous how far things have moved and are continuing to move. Um, it, that that's it. It's the it's the excitement. It's the yeah rate of change and, and and what it's doing to people. People are getting more innovative because they're not having to worry about plugging this cable into here or you know it's just exciting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know some people may see that as a con, but then I think yeah, for most people are really in this space and enjoy it. It's one of the, it's the reason you're here. So it is. Cool. I mean, I can see why people would, would think it's a bit of a con, but it's. I like to look at you know if it enables us to move faster and get more done for our business, then then that's that's the bit that that really gets it for me. So and there'll be different you know there's different different risk levels. There's different you know appetites for change in different organisations. There's no one size fits all. I'm not trying to uh, advocate for that. But that's what gets me about cloud computing is that the, there's there's so much scope for creativity and, and what can be done and, and being able to fail fast you know so i don't need to scope having a, a server and what the sand storage is going to look like or you know what what ports i need to open on the firewall or what i can i can you know in a in a safe environment i can try things out i can fail fast and and we've only spent a small fraction of money you know <laughs> yeah oh it was a wonderful conversation i really enjoyed chatting with you ashley thanks so much for just uh joining us today, sharing all of those insights and really giving us a great overview and even not just an overview, but even taking us through the various different, uh, you know, uh, 
different pieces of of the puzzle where you know Orca is bringing things together and making it quite actionable and practical and usable uh, for security folk. It was a really cool conversation, great walkthrough. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks very much. I really enjoyed myself. Thanks very much, Tim. All right. Thanks, listeners, for listening in. And uh, like we mentioned a couple of times uh, in our conversation, uh, as a follow-up to this, go and check out our chats with Keith and Andrew. Just look up the amazing.com uh, website and just search for their names or search for Orca, and uh, you'll find them. Uh, till our next conversation, you guys have a great one. See you then. Bye-bye.